When they had crossed over, they landed in Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honour their, their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Well, hello again. Please keep uh, that passage open. And uh, let's pray as we come to reflect on this part of God's Word. Father God, we thank you for your Word. And we ask that you give us insight and understanding. Father, please challenge us, encourage us uh, as we need, uh, according to your will. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure you've heard the uh, accusation, they're just a bunch of religious hypocrites. Or, I hate religious hypocrites. They're heard someone say something like that? I mean, I think it's a fairly common accusation or, or maybe excuse that's given reason why people reject the Christian faith. You know, the notion that, well, Christians, they're just, they're just hypocrites. Uh, incidentally, if you hear someone say the church is full of hypocrites, do you know the answer? So, no, it's not. There's, I'm sure there's room for one more. You could join. You'd fit right in. Uh, that was a joke, in case you're wondering. You can laugh now. Right. Yeah, good. Well done. Thank you. 
Friends, the question I want to put to you this evening is, are you a religious hypocrite? Uh, Now, we all are, well, religious to at least some degree. I mean, here we are in church on a Sunday evening. We're not out doing something else, going to the beach or doing something else this evening. So, you, you know, a lot of people would regard us as, well, religious, at least somewhat. But are we hypocritical? Now, what's a hypocrite? Well, a hypocrite is someone who says one thing but then does another. Now, given that none of us are perfect or perfectly consistent, does that therefore make us hypocrites? Are you a religious hypocrite? That's a bit confronting, perhaps. Um, Maybe how confronted you are by that question, well, that depends on on your view of yourself. If you're a you know, if you particularly feel your own failures and inconsistencies acutely, maybe you, you, you feel your apparent hypocrisy, or maybe you, you think that you're actually fairly consistent, you know, you're not really hypocritical. Well, regardless of how you feel about yourself, let's look at what Jesus says about religious hypocrisy, because he certainly stood strongly opposed to it. Now, in this chapter before us in Matthew 15, we read of what we might call some impressive churches. Matthew 15 verse 1 says, Now some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. These Pharisees, teachers of the law, they were these impressive religious types. They were the, the kind of religious pillars of their society of the, of the day. And they come from Jerusalem, the religious capital, come to Gennesaret, where Jesus is, this, this Gentile, non-Jewish area, And they came to him in opposition to him. And we've seen that. The Pharisees, they opposed Jesus. We see that consistently throughout the gospel, right from when they're first introduced to us. Back in chapter 3, John the Baptist sees through their religious exterior and he calls on them to produce fruit in keeping with repentance, John said, in keeping with a genuine heart change. Uh, In chapter 5, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that that your, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. He, he highlighted the emptiness and inadequacy of the Pharisees' outward display of righteousness. And throughout the gospel, as the, the Pharisees interact with Jesus, they oppose him, they question him, they accuse him, they begin to plot how they could kill him. And so here in chapter 15, they come to Jesus and they confront him about the issue of uncleanness. They ask, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, we, of course, know that it's good to wash your hands before you eat. It's good, you know, hygiene practice, all that. That's got nothing to do with what they're objecting to here. They're not concerned about germs. They're concerned about uh, the fact that they're rejecting the traditions of the elders. This is a symbolic washing a ceremonial washing i mean they they could have just as easily said why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders they they don't say grace with their hands lifted in the in the air it's this ceremonial religious tradition that the that they had and the disciples were not keeping it now it may be helpful to understand where this this uh, hand washing may have come from Uh, we do know from the bible from the old testament that uh, in the old testament law there were three states uh, that someone could be in You, you could be holy clean or unclean and different things would move you between one state and another Uh, so the law specified certain things would defile a person and they would become unclean they'd be regarded as unclean and then certain things could be done would need to be done to make the person clean again to purify them and then 
so that they could, for example, be sanctified and enter God's temple. And so this system of holy and clean and unclean, the, the whole thing taught in a powerful way that God is holy, that we are not holy, and there's a problem between us and God, namely our unholiness, our spiritual uncleanness. Just to give you to one example of the, the working of this, um, Exodus chapter 30, verse 17 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze basin with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Uh, also, when they approach the altar uh, to minister by presenting a food offering to the Lord, they... Uh, they shall wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for the generations to come. You see that the priests were to wash themselves, to symbolically purify themselves before they approached God. That's what the Old Testament law required of priests. But what these Pharisees did was they, well, they took these laws that God gave about cleansing and washing and they, they expanded them to include all sorts of things. So we read in, um, in the parallel account in, Matthew, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, says the Pharisees, uh, when they would come back from a place like a market, uh, you know, an unclean place, they would have these special ceremonial washings before they would eat. And they had various traditions to do with cleansing things. They upheld these washing rituals, these traditions of the elders, not for hygiene reasons, but to somehow maintain their status of ceremonial cleanness. I mean, you could think of them as kind of spiritual religious neat freaks and so with with that background in mind they come to Jesus and they put a challenge to him they say why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders they don't wash their hands before they eat why your disciples why aren't they keeping our rules and traditions in Jesus answer he well he turns the table on them he says verse 3 and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Jesus says, look, never mind whether my disciples are breaking your traditions. The bigger issue here is that, that despite your religious observances, you are breaking the command of God. In fact, by your religious observances, you are breaking the command of God. And Jesus goes on to give an example. Verse 4, he, he says, for God said... Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honour their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. What's going on here is, well, God's word clearly says, honour your mother and father. Um, fifth commandment, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. Uh, five. But the Pharisees, they, they had this neat little loophole that said, well, you could declare that, that some money or an asset or property was devoted to God. And well, if it's, if it's devoted to God, it, it can't be used for something as earthly and mundane as looking after your parents. It doesn't necessarily need, mean it needs to be given to God, it's just devoted to God. I mean, you could still use it for doing something useful like investing or making money or something, but just it, it can't be used for helping your parents. As Jesus says, they nullify the Word of God for the sake of their tradition. Their religious observance actually runs against obedience to the Word of God. They are, 
hypocrites, presenting themselves as good religious people and yet in reality actively disobeying God's word. And Jesus calls them on it plainly. He says, verse 7, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. He's quoting uh, Isaiah 29, verse 13. Jesus says, it's hypocrisy to claim to listen to God's word, but in reality to give more weight to other traditions and practices and ways of doing things, things which in the end run against and do away with God's word. Now, it's right at this point that we allow Jesus' words to, well, to question us. Are we hypocrites? Who or, or what do we really listen to? I mean, we have uh, human traditions, we have human teachings. I think in our secular society, they, they, they may not have a particular religious appearance, but they do speak loud and strong and they call for our allegiance, they call for obedience. And often they stand against the command of God. Where do we feel this clash? Uh, I think one way is that um, the, the teaching of our day, the teachings of our day, of our culture, they say that to be, a, to be a good, upstanding member of society, you must be inclusive. You must embrace diversity. Now, on the surface, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, good to be inclusive, good to embrace diversity. Almost as good as saying that the possessions are devoted to God. Of course, inclusion of others and valuing all people despite their differences, that, that actually stems from a Christian value. But our culture often means something quite different when it speaks of inclusion and embracing diversity. Uh, in a day and age of expressive individualism where you and I, as individuals, we supposedly define for ourselves who we are without reference to any external authority, least of all without reference to an independent sovereign creator, God, who made us and who therefore we stand in relationship to him as God over us. That idea must be completely rejected. There's no inclusion of, of that, of God, no embracing of that way of thinking or living. That's excluded from the diversity that must be embraced. According to the prevailing culture of our day, that the notion of right and wrong is no longer tied to what God says, but to what I feel like, to what I feel in myself according to my own self-determined identity and values and so to be inclusive to embrace diversity whilst it might sound good in our cultural context it actually amounts to excluding God and his word embracing a, a diversity of people and views just as long as they all unite around the notion that that we define right and wrong ourselves and God and what he says well that has no place in determining what we think and how we live. We must exclude God and silence what he says. Now, what this often shows itself as, I mean, that the whole push to, to affirm all views of human, human sexuality, the push to affirm gender fluidity, transgenderism, they're, they're actually the logical outcomes of nullifying the word of God and embracing our culture's commitment to self-determined expressive individualism. What does it mean in practice? Well, if we're going to uphold the Word of God rather than nullify it, 
Well, we need to be discerning when our world pressures us, pressures us to conform to its traditions, to its genders, in the name of things like inclusion and diversity. What do we do at school? What do we do at work on Diversity Day or whatever it's called? What does our participation look like? Well, it, it depends what, what that actually means. It depends what that's actually saying. But that's my point. We need to be discerning. I mean, don't get me wrong. We, all, we want to love all people. We want to welcome all people, whoever they are, whatever they believe, whatever they have or haven't done. We want to love and welcome them. Uh, Jesus, our Lord, exemplified that better than anyone. But loving and welcoming people is different to agreeing with and wholeheartedly affirming everything they believe and do, as if somehow they are the ultimate determiner of all reality. Now, as people who want to listen to God's Word, actually, we want to reserve that place, the ultimate determiner of all reality, to, well, to God. So if we hold to the truth that God is God, that He has spoken... He's spoken through His Word, ultimately through His incarnate Son, the Lord Jesus. If we want to hold to that, that will put us at odds to our culture. We will run against its grain. We will break its tightly held traditions. And we will be unpopular, even hated for doing so. You know what? So is the Lord Jesus. The moral police of His day hated Him, rejected Him, ultimately had Him put to death. Now, that's one example of the clash between God's Word and our human culture and traditions. Um, another, probably more obvious one, and one that we can be so often blinded by to see, is greed. I mean, God's Word, what does God's Word say? It says that, that greed is idolatry. Colossians 3 verse 5. Jesus taught you can't serve both God and money. Matthew 6, 24. Paul tells Timothy to command those who are rich not to put their hope in wealth. And yet, greed, it's the air we breathe in our affluent and materially prosperous society. Wealth is the, the, the great hope to making life successful. So as we examine ourselves for hypocrisy, it's worth asking, well, do, our, do my financial goals and aspirations, do they reflect a heart that is eager to obey the Word of God or one that upholds the traditions of our culture? When it boils down to it, who do we listen to? And I mean that kind of literally, who do we listen to? Who are the influences? Who are the people shaping what we think? Who do we listen to? I mean, we who sit in church here on a Sunday night, claiming to listen to the Word of God, do we, in the words of Jesus, nullify the Word of God for the sake of human traditions, for the sake of fitting into the values and teachings of this world? Are we hypocrites in that way? What about religious hypocrisy? Are there voices in religion that lead us away from obeying the Word of God? I think this is a big thing in, in some churches and some church traditions. I don't know how many people over the years have, have told me that um, they're turned off the Catholic Church because they see people who go to Mass and go to confession and put money in the plate and then go out and live a completely immoral life the rest of the week. The hypocrisy is, is blatant and, and obvious to them. 
But let's not just point at the Catholics. What about um, our religious practices? Uh, are we in danger of kind of regarding our practices in a way that builds a Pharisee profile? You know, someone who's a top-notch Christian, someone who attends church every week and who serves on the roster and attends youth group or growth group and goes to the Christian conferences and, well, they're obviously, they're, they're in. I mean, they're obviously a top-notch Christian. They fulfill the, the human traditions and that's what matters. Do we measure other people like that? Do we measure each other? Do we measure ourselves like that? Pat ourselves on the back as a good churchy because we tick the boxes. If we do, we're missing the point and we're drifting into religious hypocrisy. Just to clarify, don't get me wrong, those things are all good. It's good to go to church, it's good to go to youth group, it's good to go to growth group, it's good to serve. But they're not what it's all about. Because they don't deal with what is the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. Our hearts are the problem. I've got a little video clip here I want to to play to you. It's from a a TV show from quite some time ago. Uh, But it gives an an unusually honest insight into the human heart. It's a little bit disturbing in parts, um, but I think it would be helpful for us to see. So let's, uh, let's have a watch of this. I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions. Right, it's not about the world or anything, it's just about your own experiences. Worst thing I've ever done. Oh, I can't tell you that. I've never murdered anyone. <laughs> uh, I was pretty <laughs> to my parents in high school. Scream at my daughter and make her cry. Not listening to parents' advice at earlier years. It's probably the worst thing. Don't stretch your ears, it'll make it harder to gain employment. I laughed, I thought that was silly, but no, they were right. You know, it's funny, I remember stealing some rent money from friends of mine many years ago. I've been in stolen car and things like that, but I've done worse than that, but I can't tell you. I knocked over a pregnant woman and I felt very ashamed of myself. And when her husband stood up, I really wanted him to hit me. I belted a bloke up and ended up in jail because he was belting his girlfriend. So, shouldn't have belted him. Because <laughs> I can't tolerate blokes who hit women. Oh, um, trusted men. <laughs> trusted men that did the wrong thing by me. Dad gave me uh, money to give up smoking. Like, he gave me a lot of money. Everyone tells a lie here and there, you know, to, uh, to get yourself ahead. He gave me, like, $20,000 to give up smoking. <laughs> and I kept on smoking. And still to this day, he doesn't know. Had to put a dog down uh, without any uh, proper facilities to be able to do it. Haunts me sometimes. I go past the same place and I remember. I had a mate that was in need once and I, I didn't step up to the plate for him and he, uh, he went on a bit of a downward spiral after that and I didn't actually sort of step in when I could have. I guess uh, doing crime to put me in prison. Yeah. A whole heap of crime. Yeah. And being incarcerated for so long and being away from family, friends. Yeah. 
What's the worst thing you've done? What's the worst thing you've done? All of us have done bad things. I mean, there are things in my life I'd be ashamed to tell you. I expect that's true of all of us. See, how would you finish the sentence? Deep down, people are basically good, bad. If you want to say good, deep down, people are basically good. As I think our secular humanist society in its denial of reality does, I've got to say bluntly, you're wrong. But don't just take it from me. This is what Jesus says. Look back at Matthew 15. The Pharisees, they come to Jesus, accuse Jesus' disciples of being defiled by failing to keep their traditions. Jesus answers them by, by pointing out the true source of defilement. defilement. Look there in verse 10. He says, it says, Jesus called the crowds to him and, and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. I love verse 12, it goes on, the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Uh, it's funny in our cultural context where offending someone is, it's the, it's the great cardinal sin. But yes, Jesus offended the Pharisees because he, he questioned their whole system and understanding of what defiles a person. He gives this parable of what goes in, what comes out, and it's, it's a bit too subtle for Peter. Peter comes and he says, explain it please. So down in verse 17... Jesus says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. What's deep down inside a person? Jesus says it's it's evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, etc. That's what's deep inside people. Or listen to other parts of the Bible. Um, Ephesians 2 verse 1, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among the one-time notice, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. And following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. It, it, it's not a pretty picture, all of us gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Or, or over in James 1 verse 13, it says, For when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Where does sin come from? It comes from our own evil desire. Deep down, people are thoroughly corrupted, defiled. Jesus says the defilement problem is, is not our unwashed hands. It's not our failure to uphold religious traditions. It's not whether or not we eat kosher meat, it's whether or not whether or not we have a half-hour quiet time every day. It's not whether we serve in a particular way at church. The uncleanness problem is our hearts. The heart of the problem is the problem of our hearts. But friends, praise God, He has done something about this problem. Jesus and Him alone can deal 
with our unclean hearts. He can make us truly clean before God. And that was God's plan in his amazing sovereign plan, his merciful plan. 600 years before Christ, God promised to his people through Ezekiel, the prophet, he said this, he said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you, notice, a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you the heart, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What a wonderful promise that God is going to perform heart surgery on us to cleanse our hearts, to give us a new heart. And Jesus fulfilled this promise. He came to wash and cleanse us to be the sacrifice for our sins to bring forgiveness to bring healing before god i love that little summary at the end of chapter 14 that that scene there where where the people bring all the the sick to jesus and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak and and all who touched him were healed it's this beautiful illustration of the the healing cleansing power that Jesus brings. I mean, the physical healing is is symbolic of the deeper spiritual cleansing that Jesus brings. And so as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, We may, on the one hand, know and feel only too well our own guilt for the things we've done. Maybe, on the other hand, we're a bit like the Pharisees and, you know, we're blind to the corruption of our hearts. Whatever the case, without Jesus, our hearts are unclean. We are guilty before God. But by Jesus' death, our place can be be with God. He can cleanse us from a guilty conscience such that we can draw near to him in full assurance. Jesus calls us not to an empty hypocrisy, not to a blind rules and traditions of culture, but to humility before him, humility that recognises the problem of our hearts, humility that comes to him for cleansing. So friends, don't be a hypocrite. Don't claim to follow Jesus and yet in reality follow the culture of this world? Don't claim to follow Jesus and yet in reality lean on your own religious performance. Turn to Jesus and be cleansed. Trust him, follow him. And do that even if it puts you at complete odds to the world around you, the traditions and expectations of our culture. Let me leave you with two questions. Firstly, has your heart been cleansed? Has your heart been cleansed by Jesus? Have you come to him, humbled yourself before him and asked for forgiveness? If you haven't, let me urge you to do that. Nothing is more important. You may have all the religious signs. You may have all the the success and affirmation of this world. But if you haven't come to Jesus for forgiveness, it's, it's all an empty hypocrisy. If you have... If you have been cleansed by Jesus, praise God. Draw near to him, as Hebrews says, with a sincere heart in full assurance, the full assurance that faith brings. Second question, 
What are you listening to? Are you listening to God's word or human traditions and culture? And where does that clash happen for you? Where do you feel the clash between those two voices? Other areas you need to, to let go of what this world says in order to embrace what the Word of God says. How about we pray and ask that God would help us to do this as we, as we live with cleansed hearts and changed hearts. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you that you have sent your Son, our Lord Jesus. Father, you know us, you know our hearts, you know the things that we have done. And Father, we thank you that in Jesus you've made the way for our hearts to be washed, to be cleansed before you. Father, we thank you and praise you for that. We ask that you would forgive us for the evil that comes from our hearts. Please wash us and cleanse us, renew us, put in us that, that new heart that desires to follow you, that, that desires to listen to your word. And Father, pr please protect us from a, an hypocrisy that claims to follow you and yet falls in line with the traditions and values of this world. Give us wisdom to see the ways in which we're in danger of doing that. And Father, lead us, we pray. Grow us to honour you, not only in word, but in our hearts and in our actions too. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.